Hello and welcome to the RBC Broadview Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Good morning, everyone. Now, as some of you all know, we're working our way through a little Advent series. So, for those of you who were here last week, what were we talking about? Anyone? Anyone remember? Yeah? Buying fair trade chocolate? Yes, yes. So if we remember last week, Michael was talking to us about justice over, impre- over oppression. Uh, he read to us all, all of those verses that talk about taking the side of the foreigner, pleading the case of the widow and the orphan, doing what is right and not oppressing those with less. He pointed out how easy it for, is for us to be complicit in the oppression of this world through things like uh, the chocolate that we buy or the the coffee and the way that slave labour is sometimes used to produce those things. And today we're going to build on some of what we heard last week. So our topic for this week is generosity over greed. And I'm sure it won't be anywhere near as challenging as last week. I'm only talking about money after all. But you'll see the threads that connect these two topics at various points through the sermon today. And now, I'm sure, as you've all noticed, Christmas is coming. What better time to talk about being generous than now? Because everyone knows that Christmas is all about giving. Except here we run into a challenge. If everyone thinks that Christmas is about giving, then what makes us? any different. If I can say that we should all be generous and anyone who walks in the door will agree with me, then what's the point of what we're doing here? What makes us any different? Now, it's not that we're to spend more money on buying presents. There's already too many people who run up credit card debts and bills with those predatory buy now, pay later companies. We don't need to add to that. And anyway, how many of those presents are left discarded, forgotten, broken, only a week later? So what makes us different? Well, to think on that, let's start with some basics. We like to think about our stuff, our money, as ours. Something we've achieved, earned, built. But from the start, we have to remember... God is the creator of all things. We haven't truly made anything. We are creatures. We are only here because our heavenly Father has made us and the world to sustain us. He made this amazing creation for us. He gave it to us for us to care for, but also to provide what we need. Food, water, shelter. But, of course, we messed it up. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden where they had plenty to eat and sent out into the world where people would have to work hard just to have enough. 
But that's only part of the story. If that was all there was to it, then sure, we might have to all be working hard, but we would each have enough. But instead, we have greed. We have the desire for more than we need, and so we end up with injustice and oppression, just as we heard of last week. You see, the problem in this world is not that there's not enough. This world has enough food, enough water for all of us. The problem is not that there's not enough, it's that some people never have enough. And because of that, this world needs generosity. Generosity is an antidote to the injustice of the world. But now, before we get started thinking about us and how we need to be generous, before we can get to that, we need to recognise our own need for generosity. You see, we don't deserve God's kindness, but he acts in generosity. He still provides for us, sustaining this world. But even more, he gave us the gift of his son, that gift that we needed even though we didn't know it, a gift that he did not have to give us, a gift we didn't deserve. I mean, that's what generosity is after all. It's not giving someone what they deserve. It's something undeserved. And so we have God's generosity. He's given us all things, including his son, everything he has created, he's provided to sustain us. As it says, he makes it rain on the just and the unjust, but mostly the just because the unjust have stolen their umbrellas. But in Chronicles 1, 29, 14, we read, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and, what we, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. So this is a prayer from David when he'd gathered the contributions for Solomon to be able to build the temple. It shows the attitude that recognises that all things come from God's generosity. But it also points to the way that God's gift is to inspire our generosity. Our first response to God's generosity is that of gratitude of recognising how much we've been given. When we think about just how much God has given us, just how much generosity we have received, how can our hearts not sing for joy? You can just tell that that's what hap is happening in some of the, the songs that we sing, especially I always think of some of those great hymns, things like How Great Thou Art or And Can It Be. You can just feel that whoever was writing those the words that those words are an overflow of their, of a heart exulting in what God has done, what God has given. Gratitude for God's generosity should lead our hearts to overflow in worship of God, of lives shaped towards Him. That's what part of what we see in that verse from Chronicles: the people responding to God's generosity by building a temple, a visible symbol of their worship of God. But there's more than that. For God's generosity, his good gifts to us, they give us an example. We are to be generous, just as he was generous. 
Remember, as, as humans, we are made in God's image, made to reflect who he is and how he acts. And one of the things that God is, is generous. We're to reflect that generosity in an overflow of gratitude for the generosity that we have received. Now, I suspect we're probably all on the same page so far. Generosity is a good thing. We should all be generous. But the trickier thing comes when we start thinking about the details. How are we to be generous? Wow. Well, when it comes to generosity and what we do with our possessions, the part of the Bible that gives the most consistent attention to this is Luke's Gospel and the way he tells the story of Jesus. Now, firstly, before we get into the, into the details, generosity isn't a new idea with Jesus. The Jewish tradition was one that valued generosity, charity, caring for the needy. And just last week, we read so many of those passages, calling on people to help the widow and the orphan. In a culture where most people lived by subsistence farming, if you didn't have a husband or a father, you may not have been physically able to do the work to feed yourself and your family. You may have been reliant on the generosity of others, of extended family and neighbours. So to call for generosity is not something new. Now, of course, there were always those who didn't pay attention to what God said. You only have to read the prophets crying out about the exploitation and oppression from the leaders of Israel and Judah. And in the time of Jesus, it was no different. Some people were generous, but many more were selfish and exploitative. But Luke may have been writing his story of Jesus as well for those who weren't from this Jewish background, for people like the Greeks and the Romans and others. Now, they did have some tradition of generosity among the rich, but that was not so much about being generous because it was the good or right thing to do. Rather, generosity was a way of building your reputation, of gaining supporters for a political career and similar things. It was a means to an end. So Luke is telling us this story about Jesus and what he had to say about money because he knew that his audience needed to hear it. They might not have had the same tradition of generosity in light of God's generosity that they could draw on. So, how does Luke tell the story of Jesus? It begins before Jesus is born. In a passage that Michael read to us last week, when Mary is told that she will give birth to Jesus, she has this prayer, this song, uh, one that's been called the Magnificat. And Michael read it for us last week because it speaks to how the coming of Jesus upends the ways of this world. That in Jesus' kingdom, the weak and the oppressed are raised up and those who exploit others are brought low. And I want to remind you today of one verse from that passage in Luke 1.53. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. The hungry, the poor, that would be the same thing. If you have money, you can go and buy food. It's only those without money who are also those without food. And Luke tells us that with the coming of Jesus, what God is doing is being at work providing for those who do not have enough rather than for the rich 
In fact, the rich, they're not really able to receive what God is offering. Their riches get in the way of their seeing their need for God. God is a God of giving to the poor. And Jesus himself says as much as well. When his ministry begins, Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah, which again speaks against oppression, but it also begins with, by saying that Jesus' mission is to proclaim good news to the poor. And now sometimes when we read this, we try to spiritualize it, that Jesus' message is good news for the poor because they'll be okay in heaven. Except the thing is, that's not what Jesus says. Now, yes, there's certainly a dimension of of future reward for what Jesus offers. But look at some of the other promises that Jesus makes. Sight for the blind. We see Jesus healing the blind. Freedom for the oppressed. There are stories of Jesus setting people free from their, their demons. So how is Jesus' message also good news for the poor? Here and now, not just in the future when Jesus returns. Well, at least some of that is because he expects the lives of his followers to change for the benefit of the poor. And we see in Luke some statements about wealth and possessions Things like the instructions that those who have more than they need are to share with those without in 3.11. Or the woe to the rich, for they have received their comfort in 6.24. But Jesus doesn't just give these basic statements and leave it at that. He tells stories so that we can see it at work. The first of these stories is the parable of the rich fool. This is the man so rich that he has no space to store all his riches. In those days, a lot of wealth was in food. Things like grain that you can store away in your barns or perhaps wine and olive oil. This man has run out of space to store it all. And so he makes this plan to build an even bigger barn so he can store even more. He thinks he's going to be able to take it easy, put his feet up and enjoy life for a while. Eat, drink and be merry. But God tells him that that this very night he will die. All of the things he's stored up will go to other people. He won't get to enjoy any of it. He's tried to store treasure up for himself alone. And then we have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man who's enjoying life And Lazarus, the beggar at his gate, hoping even for some scraps from his table, but getting nothing but harassment from the dogs. And both this rich man and Lazarus die. And when they do, their places are reversed. We see Lazarus comforted at Abraham's side while the rich man suffers. The rich man had received his good things in life and enjoyed them with no thought of others like Lazarus who went without. Now this rich man wants to go warn his brothers, but Abraham points out that they have the scriptures. They know how they should live. The call's there to care for the poor, the widow, the orphan. But they ignored it. 
And then a little later comes the story of the rich young ruler. Now this is a young man who everything seems to go, be going right for him. He has money and power, but he's also law-abiding. He's done all the things the law says since he was young. I mean, surely this man is the poster child for a successful, godly man. Except he's not. He asks Jesus what he must do to be saved. And what does Jesus say? Sell everything you have and follow me. He has to give up on money and power if he wants to be right with God. Now, maybe this story is supposed to surprise us a bit. But the story so far, these, these rich men have not been nice. They've been selfish. They've been ignoring the poor. But not this man, or at least we're not told that. Maybe we're supposed to assume it, given that none of these rich men are positive characters. I mean, have you noticed, in each of these stories, we never find out the name of the rich man. Lazarus is named, but not the rich man. All we need to know is that they are rich, and that's enough to know they aren't going to be the hero of this story. But if that, those stories alone don't shock enough, wait till you read what Jesus has to say next in Luke 18:24. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Have you ever stopped and actually think, thought about that image? I mean, how do you think you would go at getting a camel to go through the eye of a needle? Even a fairly big needle. I mean, you're not going to have much luck unless you try putting the camel through an industrial blender first. And now you may have heard some people suggest that this is referring to a, a gate that a camel could only get through on its knees, and that's just made up nonsense. There's no evidence for that at all. It's just something someone made up to make rich feel, people feel less bad about what Jesus said. Now Jesus does go on and say that it's not impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But it's not humanly possible. It requires God to act. Only God can overcome the corrosive effect that money has on us. But being rich and following Jesus do not easily go together. And Jesus has a few other things to say about money and possessions. He says that those who are following him are not to worry about the stuff, their things, about food and clothes, the things we need in life. It's people who don't know God who fixate on that, shape their lives around getting more money so they can get the food, the clothes that they need, they want. Instead, those who follow Jesus are supposed to start from a place of radical trust in God's provision. That just like God has always provided, he will again. And that doesn't mean giving in to laziness or not working when we are able to provide for our needs. But that's not supposed to be our reason for living, the driving goal of our lives. 
Now, there's one final story about a rich man in Luke. And this is the one exception to the rule I mentioned above. This is the only rich man whose name we are told. Zacchaeus. He's a rich tax collector who's used his position to extort money from others, to make himself rich at the expense of those less well off. But why do we know his name? Well, it's because he meets Jesus and he's transformed. He is Jesus' words in action, a divine transformation that enables a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So, of course, the story is that God changes his heart to love God so he can be part of the kingdom, end of story. Except that's not the end of the story, is it? God changes his heart, for sure. But we know that not because we are told that God changes his heart, but because we can see it. By their fruit you will know them. And what is it that Zacchaeus does? He gives half of his possessions to the poor and promises to make restitution for his extortion. His changed heart radically changes his attitude to his money. He gives it away. He seeks to make things right, make amends for what he has done. He turns to generosity. So what do we learn from these stories for our own lives, for our choices of generosity over greed? Well, first, I encourage you just to think on these stories over the rest of today and into the week. Stories can stick in our heads, and we need to learn from these stories, not just an easy answer, a simple principle, although I'll try and point us towards some of those at least. But a changed view on the world, on our possessions, if indeed we can really call them ours. What we do see here is a model where greed and attachment to money and possessions is fundamentally opposed to what Jesus is on about. Instead of greed, generosity is the model of the kingdom. That's the model of Jesus. He came as a gift. Undeserved. We didn't ask for him, but God in his generosity gave us exactly what we needed. God gave of himself for us to change who we are and how we live in this world. Now, as we think about it at Christmas, we see the generosity in the world, but some of this generosity is actually just as greedy. It's all about giving to those who will give to us and all of us getting more stuff than we had before. Some people want give just because they want to be seen to give. They want others to like them because they've given them a good present. They want to be seen as a nice person. But as Christians, we can give from a place of security. We can give because we have been given everything. Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full. He's given the Spirit as a deposit, pointing to our inheritance to come. Jesus has set us free, free from expectations, insecurities, free from selfishness, 
free from greed, free indeed. Instead of greed, generosity is the model of the kingdom, even to a willingness to give up everything. This is not about a generosity that we give from those things that we figure we don't need. It's about a fundamental reorientation that sees through our greed and our desires to see how much we can give, especially when we do so from a place of trust in God. We don't need to worry about what others will think of how much we give or who we give it to because we have a Father who loves us no matter what. There's also a generosity that's willing to make painful sacrifices. For example, when we realize our complicity in exploitation and oppression. You see, like Zacchaeus, we ha- have we profited from exploitation? Do we have debts to others that we need to seek to make right? Maybe we have debts that might come from profiting from the land that was taken from indigenous people or from the slave labor that enables our habits and luxuries. The things Michael talked about last week, chocolate, coffee, clothes. We need to think not only how can we stop being part of exploitation in the future, but how do we make right the wrongs that we have been part of? You see, the giving that Jesus models is not driven by our wants, what we think we should do, but the needs of others. You see, in another place in Luke, Jesus says this, if you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. See, it's not so hard to be generous when we, to those we know and care about, our friends, our family. It's not get, difficult to give nice presents to someone who you know will give you something nice in return. It's the generosity that goes beyond that, which can be hard, and which is the evidence of the Spirit at work in us. So there are perhaps questions for us to ask ourselves. Things like, do we give to those who cannot return? Do we make any sacrifices to give? Again, this is not saying that we need to go without in order to buy more Christmas presents. The world has plenty of gadgets and toys and all of that. Yet at the same time, there are so many who go without, without food, without basic sanitation, without health care, without shelter, without protection from those who would exploit or abuse them. Where we are called to sacrifice is where there are others who have needs that we could meet, especially that we could meet even without going without the necessities ourselves, but perhaps by going without those things that we don't really need. Do we need the latest iPhone every year? Or the fancy new clothes? The shiny new fishing rod? The bigger TV? A bigger house? There's a quote floating around that says, if you've got two coats, then you've stolen one from the person with none. And that's just a simpler version of something that was said around about 1,600 years ago. So one of the great leaders of the early church, uh, Basil of Caesarea, he was preaching on 
the rich young ruler, and he said this. Now, someone who takes a man who is clothed and renders him naked would be termed a robber. But when someone fails to clothe the naked while he is able to do this, is such a person deserving of any other name? This points us back to what we talked about last week. You see, the reason that this world needs generosity is because of oppression, because there is injustice, because people run on greed. Part of choosing generosity over greed is things like not buying the cheapest option if that perpetuates oppression, that supports the system which keeps so many poor, keeps them in need of our generosity. But it also means questioning our own hearts, our own motives, to see where maybe we are being moved more by greed than by need. Jesus' instructions to sell all your possessions and give to the poor points to the fact that if we have possessions, we almost certainly have more than we need. Is there a greed that we can let go of that will allow us to be more generous? And one final thing to think about in our generosity is that our generosity also needs to ask what help is best. Not setting ourselves up to be saviours of doing generosity in the way that makes us feel best, but in the way that helps others the most. So we might want to think about who we give to, where we give. And as we talked about last week, sometimes this can feel overwhelming, the number of things that we have to try and think through and try and figure out. And we want to perhaps just take the easy option and, and, and it's so easier to th- not to think too hard. But if we choose that, well, maybe that is showing that we're, we, at least in part, are giving to feel good about giving rather than for the good that we can do to others. So that might mean looking out, for example, for the charities where the leader of the organisation gets paid several hundred thousand dollars a year as their salary. And I know of at least one organisation that has prominent towards Christmas that does that. Similarly, we might want to look at whether charities seek to help communities work towards being sustainable, able to support themselves rather than being dependent on our generosity. And so these days, many of the child sponsorship programs through people like World Vision or Baptist World Aid, they have this focus on the community, whereas some others might put more effort into just turning up with stuff. Because you see, the vision that the Bible gives us of the ideal is that every person will have their own vine and fig tree. Now, we don't have to take that literally, but the idea is that for each family to have the means to support themselves rather than begging or stealing to get by. Now, while there is injustice in the world, there will be the need for us to be generous. But at the same time as being generous, we should work towards a desire for all people to be able to support themselves. We can give people what they need and give them dignity. But to do that, our generosity needs to be about others and not ourselves. So as we head towards Christmas, it's good for us to have 
generosity on our minds. Ask ourselves, what makes our giving any different? Remember, Jesus is the ultimate gift and the model for all of our giving. Remember the stories that Jesus told about how we are to use our money and our possessions. Reflect on our hearts. Look for our greed and how we might turn greed into generosity so that we might reflect the God who gives. Let's pray. Father God, we are in awe of your generosity to us. We thank you for the good gift of your son, uh, that gift that we needed but we didn't deserve. Father, help us to reflect to this world your generosity, to give good things to the world just like you have given to us. Help us to remember that all our good things come from you and that we might give you honour and glory through how we give to others. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through the hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.